But let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into our text today in Genesis chapter number 27. Father, as we look at uh, this text in the latter part of 27 today, and we look at this seedy character Esau, we focus in on him. Father, I just, whenever I see or read about men like Esau or Saul or Judas or some of the, uh, what we would call the bad characters in the Bible, it's kind of a scary thing to do because, Lord, when I look at these characters, I see it's almost at times I'm looking at a mirror and seeing myself and in some of the things that they do. And, and uh, Esau is no exception. Esau was a worldly man, as you know, and, and Lord, uh, I'm pretty worldly too. Lord, show us today as we look at this text the difference between men like Esau and Jacob that on the surface seem to be so much alike, but there's a difference, Lord. And that's what we want to examine today and make sure that, that Lord, we are different uh, in a way that brings us to you, that, that maintains a relationship with you. Help us not to be like Esau. And, Lord, if we are, show us that that's where we're at in life because it's a dangerous place to be because Esau was a man of perdition. And, and uh, just like Judas and Saul and some of these characters, Lord, that more than likely uh, are not in your presence now. And, Lord, we want to live forever with you. And so, Lord, help us to distinguish what makes the difference between a man of God and a man of this world as we look at this character. It's a great lesson, Lord, and I ask that you teach it to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter number 27, and we'll be picking up in verse number 30 today. J. Vernon McGee used to give this really dire warning uh, to people that live for the world. And he would say this. He would say, suck it like an orange because this is all you're going to get. Now, what, what did he mean by an orange? He meant, uh, he, meant by, he meant the things of this world, the sweet things of this world, the things that feed the flesh. You, if you live for the flesh, you better enjoy it because this is all you're going to get. And eventually, those oranges are going to turn to lemons, and that's what you're going to be sucking on, and your life is going to become sour and bitter. My little grandson, James, loves to suck on lemons. I mean, he can suck that lemon until there's nothing left. And I watch that, and I just cringe seeing him sucking that sour and bitter lemon. Uh, but what's even worse is when I see people who are sucking on the lemons of life. Uh, they're so carnal, uh, all they've done is suck this world like an orange uh, with little or no regard for eternal things uh, until the oranges turn to lemons and their life gets really sour and bitter. And really, it's a pitiful sight to see people in that state. And today, we're going to see this character, Esau, uh, who is one of the epitomes of carnality. I mean, he was a man, that's all he did. He sucked this world like an orange. And then one day, as we're going to see uh, in our text today, those oranges became lemons, and uh, he became a really pitiful sight to see. But let's go back, and for those of you that haven't been here, let's bring us back to where we're at in chapter 27. Last week, we saw the main characters of this text. We saw uh, Isaac and Rebekah, and Jacob and Esau all weaving their webs of deception in order to get the birthright to the person they wanted to have it. Esau and Isaac wanted Esau to have it. Rebekah and Jacob wanted Jacob to have it. And they were willing to do anything uh, they had to do, even if it meant lying to each other, in order to get that birthright to the person they wanted to have that birthright. But in the end, who was in control of all of this? The Spirit of God. And in the end, what happened, it was Isaac who spoke the blessing, not over his son Esau, but he spoke it over Jacob. And it didn't matter what these characters did. The blessing was going to be given to Jacob because God had planned to give that blessing to Jacob 
before the foundation of the world. All right, now, so let's pick it up where with the blessing, and let's read the blessing that Jacob received, uh, picking up in verse number, we'll go back to verse number 28, and listen to what it says there. It says, therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth. Now, this is being spoken by the Spirit of God to Jacob, by Isaac, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. And then really the best part of the blessing we looked at last week. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. In other words, your enemies will be my enemies and your friends will be my friends. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. You and your descendants are going to be my people. And so that was a great blessing. That was a blessing that Esau should have desired, but he could care less about that part of the birthright. All he could care about were the the material blessings. And really at this point, all Jacob could care about were the material blessings. But one day he was going to receive that blessing uh, deep in his heart, and he was going to realize how much God had really blessed him. But that's going to come later on in the story. But let's go back to the story now. And and, uh, Jacob leaves the room he's he's uh spoken he's Isaac has he's tricked Isaac into speaking the blessing over him and then we're going to pick up it now in verse number 30 and listen to what it says verse number 30 it says now it happened as soon as Jacob had finished blessing Isaac Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone from the presence of Isaac his father that Esau his brother came in from his hunting but he's a uh day late and a dollar short. I mean, if he'd come in five minutes earlier, uh, he could have stopped Jacob from getting the blessing. But God, again, was in control of all this. But soon, no sooner does Jacob get the blessing than he shows up. And he also had made a savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, uh, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. So here's Esau. I mean... He's excited. He's come in from hunting. He's cooked the stew. Uh, he's got a spring in his step, a joy in his heart. Uh, he comes to his father, and he's, he thinks that his father's about to pass this birthright on to his favorite and oldest son, and uh, it's not going to happen. Look at the next, look at the next verse. Uh, and his father, Isaac, said to him, Who are you? Now, that had to be a shock to Esau. Who are you? I mean, what, and Esau said, what do you mean, who am I? I'm your son Esau. And then Isaac trembled exceedingly. Now, why did Isaac tremble? Because at that very moment when he heard Esau's voice and he realized that he hadn't given the blessing to Esau, he was upset. He was upset for several reasons. One reason, he was mad. He knew he had been deceived by his wife and he knew he had been deceived by Jacob. And so, so he was very upset. I think he was sorry, too. He was sorry at the fact that he had tried to deceive her. She was deceiving him. And really, his family was in a mess. And he trembled. That's all he could do. He was an old man. He thought he was dying. He was sick. He was going to live another 45 years. But they all thought he was dying. And that's why he was passing the blessing on. But he trembled exceedingly, and he said, Who? I mean, who was that that came in earlier? Where is the one who hunted the game before, which really wasn't game. It was goat meat. Uh, but that was part of the deception that Jacob and Rebekah had pulled on Isaac. Uh, where's the one who hunted the game and brought it into me? I ate every bit of it, and I'm not hungry now. I don't even want your stew And, and uh, before you came. And I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. In other words, he's the one who is going to get the blessing. Why is that? I mean, any court of law would have looked at this situation and said, uh, uh, any secular court of law would have looked at this and said the blessing belonged to Esau. He was the oldest son. Jacob got it by deception. So we're going to throw this out and we're going to give the blessing to Esau. But th- they weren't in the, a secular court of law. They were in God's court. And God had determined before the foundation of the world that this blessing belonged to, to, to Jacob. And so uh, when Esau spoke that blessing, He spoke it by the Spirit of God. And that made it a binding contract in the courts of God. 
Listen, whenever you speak by the Spirit of God, or you listen, or you read by the Spirit of God, you know it. You know it. That's why, you know, I don't have any problem in believing that this word is true. I don't need an apologist to to convince me that this word is true. I know this word is true because there are times when I'm reading this word and studying this word that I do it by the Spirit of God. And and I know the Spirit of God is present in my study. I know sometimes the Spirit of God is present in my preaching. Sometimes the Spirit of God is present in your listening. And when you hear that by the Spirit of God, you know that whatever God is saying is true. And that whatever he says is binding. This word is authoritative. It is binding. What God gives us here, every single word of this, is a binding contract. It's a binding commitment. It's a bind, it's something that we need to listen to because it's the truth of God. And so, so, and you know that. If you're born again, you know that. If you've ever read the word by the Spirit, you know that. Now, there's some people that don't know that. There's some people that say, you know, this is just, a, you know, this is just a bunch of people who got together, different authors, and it's a hodgepodge mess here, and it doesn't make any sense, and there's no order to it. You're not going to see, hear the word of God, and hear it correctly until you hear it by the Spirit of God. And so here is, uh, here is uh, Isaac, and he's given this blessing to to Jacob, and he's given it to him by the Spirit of God, and it is a binding contract now look at verse number 34 when Esau heard the words of his father he cried with an and here's a 75 year old man now and watch what happens here he cries with an exceedingly great and bitter cry why is it bitter it's sour it's bitter however you want to interpret that because he's now not sucking oranges he's sucking lemons I mean he's he's in trouble and he said to his father, he said, in, in, in tears, he says to his father, bless me, oh, my father. And so uh, here's this guy, man, and he's really, if you look at him, he's 75. His father's about to die, he thinks, and he, his father has given the inheritance to his brother, who I don't think he likes at all. I don't think they like each other. And he's upset about it, that he's going to have to serve his brother. And uh, uh, he's, he's really a pitiful sight. But it's hard to feel sorry for Esau because just look at him. I mean, he 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 had hate in his heart for his brother. Uh, he had no integrity. I mean, his brother had had bought his birthright uh, for a for a bowl of stew. He knew he had bought it. He hadn't forgotten that. And uh, now he's he's for, I mean, he wants to forget that. He's ignoring the fact that that's happened because he has no integrity. Uh, he's he's. Uh, uh, I think he hates the Lord. I don't think he has any care for the things of the Lord at all. He's trampled underfoot the birthright of God. And so because he doesn't love the Lord, he is a profane man. And that's exactly the way Scripture refers to Esau elsewhere. That's why uh, over in Malachi, the Lord says about Esau, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Why did the Lord hate Esau? Because he was a profane man. A profane man in the sense that he trampled underfoot the things of God. That's exactly what we see when we go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Flip with me over there for a minute. And as you flip, just one other thing. I mean, we're going to see in just a minute that he's a murderer at heart too. He's going to want to kill his brother and, and because his brother has stolen his birthright. And so he's going to want to kill him to get it back. We'll see that in a few minutes. But what I want you to do is go to Hebrews chapter 12, almost to the end of the New Testament. And go to Hebrews chapter 12. And there's a warning there. A warning there for us that comes through the person of Esau. In other words, you don't want to be like Esau. Let me say this and hear this. There are a lot of people in the church, and I'm talking about Christendom, in the church of God, I'm talking about all of Christendom, that are like Esau. They go to church, they have Bibles, they pray, they do all sorts of things, but they're like Esau. And Paul had a group of people he was writing to, and he was telling them, be careful that you're not like Esau. Because if you are, what happened to Esau? Esau more than likely is in hell right now, or in Hades, and waiting to go to hell. 
But you don't want to be like Esau. Look, look, verse number 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, a crude person, an ungodly person, a person who could care less about the things of God, like Esau, who, who cared so little for the things of God that for one morsel of food, he sold his birthright. The great birthright that had been given to Abraham and had been passed down to Isaac, this birthright that promised all sorts of spiritual blessings, he didn't even care about that. He could care less about that. And why could he care less about that? Because he could care less about God. And so he was a profane person, like Esau, who for a morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing and the material part of the blessing, the, 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 the double portion, the fact that the family clan would submit to him, he was rejected. For he found, here's why he was rejected. Now you look at Jacob at this point and you look at Esau at this point and there's really not much difference between these twin brothers. But one of them's rejected and one's not. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But let, we do know the reason why Esau was rejected because he found no place for repentance in his heart. He never would have turned to God no matter what God did. Though he sought the birthright diligently with tears, he was rejected because he found no repentance in his heart. God found no repentance in his heart. And that's why his tears were for naught. I mean, he had an unrepentant heart. He was a profane person. He was a person who could care less about God. He was sorry, and he cried with tears because he had lost the material blessing. But he wasn't sorry because he had lost the spiritual blessing. He wasn't sorry that he never had entered into a relationship with God. He could care less about God. Who was that on? I talked about that last week because Jacob, I don't think, could care less about God at this point either. And if God didn't intervene, Jacob would have gone to hell too. But who is this on? It was on Isaac. Isaac, their father, was a pretty profane person himself. I believe Isaac was saved by the skin of his teeth. I showed you last week. We know he was saved by the skin of his teeth because at the great wedding supper of the Lamb, we're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we're told that by Jesus himself. And so... uh, uh, Esau, though, is not going to be there because he did not find a place for repentance. And here's where repentance comes from. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Godly sorrow produces repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance. True repentance only comes when we have godly sorrow. Now, what's godly sorrow? Godly sorrow is where we feel bad about the way we've treated God. We feel bad about the fact that we've sinned against God, that we've rebelled against God, that we've had no desire for God. That's godly sorrow. That's the place that Jacob came to at Peniel, we'll see in future studies. But Esau never came to that place, and so he was rejected, and he never received the birthright. And so he never repented. He never turned from his worldliness and his evil ways to God and to righteousness. He he never did that. And history and the Bible are replete with people who are sorry for the way their lives have turned out. But yet they, they don't have a godly sorrow. A godly sorrow that leads them to repentance. I mean, what they're sorry about is that they've lost some material blessing. Saul was sorry. He was sorry that he lost his kingdom to David, but he never repented because he never had godly sorrow. In fact, he set out to kill David. He he didn't believe in God. He didn't believe enough in God to, to not worry about touching God's anointed, the one God had anointed to be king. I mean, he was he was bold in his attack on David because he didn't have godly sorrow. All he was sorry for was that he had lost his kingdom. You look at Judas. Judas wasn't sorry that he betrayed the Lord. He was sorry that it didn't turn out the way he wanted it to turn out. He thought that when he betrayed the Lord, that the Lord would, would, would show all of his power and take over, come to, to, to his kingdom and put Judas on a throne somewhere. And he was sorry that he had lost his position on that throne. And, and Esau 
the character that we're looking at today, Esau wasn't sorry because he had, he had, he had, he had rebelled against God or had no relationship with God. He was sorry because he had lost the material blessing. What should Esau have done at this point? What should he have done? I mean, when, when he realized that he had lost that blessing, that God had rejected him, you ever come to a place where God's rejected you? Let me tell you what you need to do. When you feel in life like God's rejected you, don't get mad at him. Don't, don't go out and try to kill people around you to, to get some material things so you can go back to sucking your oranges. Let me tell you what you need to do. If, if, if you feel rejected by God, what you need to do is get on your face before God and ask him why. And ask God to forgive you. And ask God to help you. Ask God to put you into a relationship with him. And that's what Esau should have done. But he doesn't do that. I mean, what does he do? I mean, he cries like a baby. And then the next thing he's going to do, he's going to go out and he's going to try to kill his brother Jacob because he he wants that blessing back, the material blessing back. Now, it's a real fine line between those people who truly repent and come to God with godly sorrow and those people that go all the way to hell in their rebellion against God. There's really a fine line between us. There's a fine line between Jacob and Esau. There's a fine line between Peter and Judas. I mean, I look at Peter. Peter was a profane man. He was so profane at times. You, you remember when the Lord said, get behind me, Satan, because of the things that he had said? He called him Satan. He was so profane. I mean, he, betray, he betrayed Jesus every bit as much as Judas did when he denied him three times. You remember when he denied him three times, Jesus told him he was going to deny him three times, and he told him that the rooster was going to crow, and that rooster crowed, and Jesus turned at that moment, and he looked at Peter. He, the, the word means he gazed at Peter. He looked him in the eye, and he gazed at him. And I think he said with his eyes, Peter, you broke my heart. I can't believe you betrayed me like here you were so bold and you were going to do all these wonderful things and you were going to fight for me and you betrayed me. And, and to me, that was every bit as bad as what, I mean, he didn't get 30 pieces of silver to do it, but he got his life back because he was afraid they were going to kill him. And he betrayed him. And what did he do? He did the same thing Esau did, the same thing Judas did. He went out and he wept bitterly, we're told in the scripture. But he wept because he had godly sorrow. He was sorry what he had done to the Lord. He saw when the Lord looked at him and he saw the Lord's broken heart and he realized what he had done to the Lord and he was sorry. And more than anything else in the world, he wanted the Lord back. He loved the Lord. He loved the Lord as much as a man can love the Lord, a man in his flesh. And he loved the Lord and he was really, truly sorry. And so he was restored and he became a great man of God, one of the greatest men of God who ever lived. But that's not the case with men like Judas and men like Saul and men like Esau. Maybe that's not the case with some of us. I mean, that's what we want to look at as we finish up this text. Let's go back to verse uh, 35 in chapter 27 and listen to what happens next. But Isaac said to him, your brother Jacob came in dis- in, with deceit and has taken away your blessing. You know what? Isaac should have said at this point, God gave him the blessing. I tried to deceive my wife, and I, tried, I knew that you had, the Lord had given her a uh, promise that the older would serve the younger, but I ignored all of that, and I was trying to get the blessing for you. But no, she, they're blaming all of this on Jacob. And Jacob was wrong here, but the Lord was right. And, and Isaac should have seen that. And Esau said, is, that not, is he not rightly named uh, Jacob or supplanter or hill catcher or deceiver for he has supplanted me these two times he took away my birthright now and look at what he took my blessing Esau is is really crude he really is profane I mean he's playing mind games in order to justify his self-inflicted wound here with what he's trying to do we all do that sometimes don't we you kind of just play word games and mind games. I mean, Jacob st- st- stole it from him twice. He didn't steal it from him twice. He stole it from him one time when he sold it to him. Because if you sell the birthright, obviously you gave the blessings that went with the birthright away too. 
And so, so Esau's just, you know, he's just kidding himself at this point because he is so profane and he has no integrity. And so he's, and then he says, and Esau said to his father, I mean, surely you've got some other good blessing you can give me. Have, have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me. Bless me also. And, and, and Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And, and he's begging his father, you know, let's take some of these things away from Jacob. Let's, surely you've got some other stuff you can give me that will bless me. I mean, give me a great blessing too. But as we listen to this blessing that Isaac is going to speak over Esau, actually it sounds a lot more like a curse than a blessing. And so listen to what happens next. Then Isaac, his father, answered him, uh, by the Spirit, he answers him. It doesn't say that there, but we know that because this is all spiritual here. And he said to him, Behold, your dwelling place shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. That, that doesn't sound so bad. I mean, you're going to prosper materially. Uh, you're going you're to eat off the, the, the land just like you've always done. Uh, your crops are going to grow because you're going you're to get the dew of heaven, the rain from above. But then it starts, it starts turning the lemons here. Look at the next part. By your sword, by your sword uh, you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break the yoke from your neck. So here's Esau, he's crying. Uh, he's crying because he's lost the material blessing. What should he have been crying about? He should have been crying because he lost his soul. Because God had rejected him for all eternity. Because Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. That is a scary line in the Bible. Because there isn't but one Esau in history. There is a plethora of Esau's in history. This world, the majority of the people who live in this world are like Esau. So Esau begs his father to give him this blessing, and uh, the Lord speaks sort of a blessing to him. He tells Esau, first of all, hey, your life is about to change. Things are going to be different, and you're not going to, it's not going to be blessed in the way you think it's going to be blessed. You're still going to have some oranges to eat, to suck on, uh, but you'd better suck on them while you can, because that's all you're going to get. Uh, you'll still live off the land, uh, just like you always have, and it's going to rain on your crops because it rains on the just and it rains on the unjust. Good things that happen from heaven above happen to good people and they happen to bad people. It rains on the just and it rains on the unjust. But now you're going to have a lots of lemons in your life because by your sword, verse number 40, by your sword you shall live. In other words, you're going to have to fight to keep what you've got. You're going to have to fight to get what you want. And don't look to me, the Lord is saying through uh, Isaac, don't look to me for protection. You're on your own. You're gonna, you're, you're, you're on, you want to be on your own? I'm going to let you be on your own. And then it shall come to pass, look, look at the last part of this, then it shall come to pass, when you have become restless, you shall break this yoke from your neck. Now, that is a prophecy that refers to Esau's descendants, the Edomites. The Edomites will serve. The Edomites are the descendants of Esau. And they will serve the descendants of Jacob for a long, long time. They will serve for several hundred years. They will serve the Israelites. In the first part of the kingdom of Israel, the first kings, over when David and Saul and Solomon are ruling and some of the other kings, the Edomites will be their slaves. But when uh, Jehoram comes in, I think that's his name. Hold on, let me see. I got it written down here. Uh, yeah, Jehoram comes in in 850 BC. Then he's a really evil king, and the Edomites, uh, he's going to have his own troubles elsewhere. The Edomites are going to see that, and they're going to break away from the yoke of Israel, and then they're going to not ever be under the yoke of Israel again after that. But they're going to eventually go off, off the map totally. I mean, the Edomites later became the Idumeans. And the Adamavans became the Herodians. And the Herodians were the last of the Edomites. And if you look at the Herodians and you look at them over history, they were about as wicked of a people as ever existed. Uh, they were, again, like Esau, the epitome of 
carnality. They sucked this world like an orange without any regard for God. In fact, they hated God. They hated Christ. They were Antichrist. They were a type of the Antichrist. And when they go uh, out of the picture, that is the end of the Edomites, and we never hear from them again. All right, now, pick up with me in verse number 41. Verse number 41. So, look at Esau's response. He cried like a baby. And then he cried like a baby, a 75-year-old man crying like a baby. That was his first response. And then his next response, look at verse number 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to get what belongs to me. Really, it didn't belong to him. It belonged to God, and God had given it to Jacob. But he didn't care about God. He didn't even really believe in God. He gave God lip service. He didn't know the Lord. If he had known the Lord, he had known he was getting himself into trouble here by messing with Jacob, if he would have messed with Jacob. Uh, actually, we're going to see God just totally change his heart in the end of this story, but, but that's, that's a few weeks from now. But... But uh, at this point, he's mad, and he's set out to kill his brother. And uh, he says, in his heart, the days of mourning for my father at hand. Again, they thought Isaac was about to die, but he was going to live another 45 years. Uh, Then I will kill when he dies. After I mourn for my father, I will kill my brother Jacob. And, And Esau was bold in this proclamation. He told his wives, his, his Hittite, Canaanite wives, he told them what he planned to do. He told his friends what he planned to do, and he got back to Rebekah. Look at verse number 42. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. I mean, he finds comfort in the fact that he's going to get his revenge. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban and Haran, and stay with him, watch this now, a few days until your brother's fury turns away, and once his anger turns away uh, from you, and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you back from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? What she was saying here was, if Esau kills you, I won't have any sons left because I will disown Esau and you'll be dead. And so she warns Jacob, I want you to flee. Your brother's going to kill you and I want you to flee to old Uncle Laban and Haran and stay there a few days. He didn't stay there a few days. He stayed there 20 years, over 20 years. Uh, he stayed there, and here was Jacob, a guy who liked to suck this world like an orange too, who's about to suck on lemons under the leadership and tutelage of his old uncle Laban. He's going to have a really sour and bitter 20 years coming up in his life. Jacob really had a bitter life his whole life because he was so carnal. I mean, he, when Pharaoh meets Jacob, the first thing Jacob tells Pharaoh is, my, my days are short and and my years are bitter. You know, I've had a bitter, sour, lemon-filled life. Uh, now, he was wrong in saying that because the guy was blessed unbelievably. And all of the bitterness that he, that he had in his life, he brought upon himself. God didn't bring it upon him. He brought it upon himself. But, but he did have a tough life. And, but he wasn't lost. He wasn't lost because one day he's going to have godly sorrow. We're going to see that coming up. And he's going to repent. And those lemons are going to turn, those lemons that he's going to suck on under Uncle Laban are going to turn into spiritual fruit. I mean, some really great spiritual fruit. And, and Jacob's going to become a really good man. He's going to be, no longer be Jacob. He's going to become Israel. But for Rebekah and Isaac, especially Rebekah, life is really about to get sour and bitter. Uh, she's sending Jacob off for a few days. But Jacob's not coming back 
again in her lifetime. She will never see her favorite son again. And, and, and life's going to get really tough for her. Look at this last verse, verse number uh, 46. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life. My life is sour and it's bitter. I, I, I personally, I believe Rebekah was saved. But because of her own doing, because she had, her and Isaac had divided the family by having favorite children, uh, by deceiving each other and, and, and really not raising their kids in the Lord, her life had really become bitter. I, I, I don't know how many people I meet that, that get to, to, to 50 or 60, and you just see that their life has become so bitter. And the reason they've become so bitter is because they are sucking this world like an orange without any regard for the Lord. And, and, and even if you're saved, you're going to pay a price for that. And, and here's Rebecca, and, and she's come to the point where she says, I'm weary of my life. I'd rather be dead than alive. Because of the, one of the reasons is because the daughters of, of Heth, uh, the, the daughters, the, the Hittite, uh, the, the daughters of, of, uh, that Esau married, the two girls that Esau married, I can't stand them. They're, they're, they're pagans. They care less about God. Uh, they, 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 they've, Esau could care less about God. And if Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like Esau did, like, like these who are of the daughter of the land, what good will my life be to me? It's pretty bad as it is. It's only going to get worse if, if we don't get Jacob out of here and get him to marry. Again, she's using this to try to deceive Isaac into letting Jacob I mean, Jacob's 75 years old at this point. You talk about a mama's boy, he ought to be able to do what he wants to do. And, and he's going to die if he doesn't get out of there quick. So I'm, I'm sure Jacob was ready to go. But uh, she's, she's convincing Isaac that we need to let him go so he doesn't marry one of these Hittite, Canaanite women like Esau has. And my life even becomes more bitter. But her life was, her life was toast after this. She was done. She was done. I mean, she had... Ruined her relationship with Isaac by, by deceiving him. Isaac never forgot that. I, I, the, as I said last week, the state of their marriage at the point of, that we're in in chapter 27 had to be pretty bad for them, to, she, for them to be doing what they were trying to do to each other. It had to be pretty bad. That great romance that had started out so wonderful, had, had just about the flame was just about out. So she had to live with Isaac, and, and then she was only left with Esau. And Esau knew what she had done, that she had, that she had deceived Jacob. I mean, I, Esau knew that she had deceived Isaac into giving Jacob the birthright. And so, so uh, she, Isaac, and, I mean, Esau didn't like her either. And she didn't like his, his wife's, and so her life was a pit at this point. And I think she died a very sorrowful woman, a very pitiful woman. All of these people in this story are pitiful. And the reason they're pitiful is that they're so carnal. They are so carnal. And there is a blatant warning here. For all of us to take seriously our relationship with the Lord, to put that above the things of this world, lest we end up like Esau, or maybe at best like Jacob, I mean, I'm sorry, like Isaac, or Rebecca. Paul reiterates that warning in a different context. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and you don't have to turn there, but listen to this dire warning that he issues. He says, and it's to the church that he's writing this to, to a carnal church. And he's telling them, he says to them, do not become like the Israelites in the wilderness who were baptized into Moses in, in the cloud of glory and the sea. 
Now, what was he saying in the first part of that verse, of that passage? He was saying that these people were so wonderfully blessed. They had the cloud of the Shekinah glory that followed them wherever they went. Now, that's a blessing. I mean, they saw the supernatural glory of God everywhere they went. As a born-again believer, you're even more blessed than that. You have the supernatural Shekinah glory of God living in your soul. Wherever you go, God goes with you. And here were these people who not only had the Shekinah glory of God, they saw the entire sea part so that they could escape Egypt and start heading towards the promised land. They were a blessed, blessed people. He goes on to say, these Israelites who drank of the spiritual rock who is Christ. That's what we do if we're born again believers. We're drinking of the spiritual rock which is Christ, the spirit of Christ. But, here comes that one of those bad buts in the Bible. But they sat down at night to eat and drink. And they rose up every morning to play. In other words, what he's saying right here, all they cared about, even though they had God in their, present with them, even though they had drunk of the Spirit of God all the time, all they cared about was about what they were going to eat and what they were going to drink and how they were going to get to play. What kind of fun things they were going to do today. I, I, I got to tell you, that, that, that sounds a lot like Esau. But it sounds a lot to me like a lot of people I know who call themselves Christians. Who get up in the morning and really all they care about is what am I going to eat today? Where am I going out? What am I going to play? What's the game? Who's playing today? Who's playing tonight? You know, that's, that's their whole life. And all the time they claim to be feeding from this word and drinking of the Spirit of God and living under the cloud of glory, of the glory of God. But they're sucking this world like an orange. And that's what they care about more than anything else. And listen to the last part of this warning that Paul is giving to the church. But he says they were destroyed by the destroyer. A lot of people say that's the devil who destroyed him. It wasn't the devil who destroyed them. God is the destroyer who destroyed them. And God will destroy all people eventually who reject him. And I think he's even angrier. And I don't want to God is so merciful and so loving and so patient. But maybe the words disappointed and frustrated with the people of God who call themselves people of God. With the people who call themselves people of God because they supposedly taste of the rock. They taste of the spirit. And yet they could give a flip really deep down in their hearts and in their lives about God. Look, there's nothing wrong with eating or drinking or playing. I get it. We live in a material world. We're material people. We live by sight a lot and not by faith. I get that. We got to eat. We got we to drink. And God gives us food and drink as a blessing. I, I understand that. And, and I think sometimes, I think it's necessary that we, we, we have some recreation in life. But i got to tell you, when everything we do, every plan we make, is about our carnal flesh, and we have little or no regard for the things of God, we're no different from the Israelites out in the wilderness. And what happens, and you see this happening in our country today, where this moves, it moves from this 
lack of care for God and this total carnality into idolatry. And idolatry ends up in gross immorality because there's no satisfaction. People are trying to be satisfied with all sorts of things that will never satisfy them, and so there's just no end to it. And so we end up in drugs, we end up in, in all sorts of immoral sexual relationships, and, and, and you just see society imploding. A, a nation that calls itself a Christian nation. Barack Obama, one of the things, one of the few things he was right about was that, that, that this is not a Christian nation. It certainly isn't now. And we might call ourselves that, but we're not. So we need to ask ourselves. I mean, everybody in this room needs to ask themselves. Where are we at in our lives right now? I mean, are we sucking this world like an orange? I mean, is our total attention in life on the things of this world, on the pleasures of this world, without any regard or little regard for the spiritual things of God? I tell you what, if that's our condition, we'd better be careful. Because sooner or later, those oranges are going to turn to lemons. And life is going to get really sour and really bitter. And you can call yourself a Christian and you can call yourself a born-again believer, and you can go to church, but if we're living like Esau, if we're living like the Israelites in the wilderness, and all we do is, is, is rise up to play and go to bed thinking about what we're going to eat and drink the next day, if that's all we do, then we're in danger. We're in danger. We very well might be like Esau, doomed to an eternity of bitterness and darkness. And there are a lot of people in the church, in the so-called church, that that's the condition they're in. And, and even if we're saved by the skin of our teeth, like Isaac and Jacob to some degree, One day, if we're spending the majority of our life sucking on oranges, one day those oranges are going to turn to lemons. And our life is going to become really bitter and really sour. Mark it down. But we can change that. We can change that with godly sorrow. We can change that when we realize that when we ignore God, it's like Peter betraying God. When we give God, don't give the Lord his due in every aspect of our life. I mean, we're like Esau. That's what Esau did. And we can change that by prioritizing our relationship with the Lord. By making that the most important thing in our life. And, and when we do, our life won't be turning to limits and we won't just be sucking on the oranges of this world, the material blessings of this world. We will suck on the spiritual fruit of heaven. Oh, you talk about some wonderful thing to partake of. I mean, the fruit of heaven, the sweet fruit of heaven, I'm, the spirit of God. I mean, how many of us in this room this past week even recognize the fact that the spirit of God is in us? I mean, when we prioritize our relationship with God, we sense the spirit of God in us. And we partake of that spirit, a fullness of that spirit. And we have the fruit of the spirit. And then, you know... I love the fruit of this word because there's so much deceit in this world right now. The only place where you can find truth anymore is in the word of God. And this, this, this bears spiritual fruit when we're in the word of God. And, and then there's 
the fruit of relationships, relationship with our loved ones, a relationship with fellow believers. I mean, I mean, man, what a sweet fruit that is. But the most important fruit of all is the fruit of our relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the sweetest fruit of all. That's the fruit that brings peace and brings joy and removes all the sour and bitterness of life. We'll never have that if our priority is sucking this world like an orange. We'll only have that when our priority is our relationship with the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this warning that you give us here. Lord, all of us fail in pursuing our relationship with you in the matter we should. Lord, for a lot of us, it's not a priority. It's secondary to the things of this world. Father, I ask today that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you convict every person in this room of how important it is in these last days to partake of the fruit that really matters, the spiritual fruit of heaven that we have through the word, that we have through your spirit, that we have through our relationship with you. Lord, the fruit that brings us joy and peace, the fruit that comes by grace, Lord, your wonderful grace. We can't earn it. We can't can't buy it. Lord, it's a gift from you. But Lord, when we take that gift and we throw it under a rug somewhere, and we, in lieu of your, our relationship with you, we focus on the things of this world and ignore our relationship with you, Lord, we only lose out. Help us to see that, Lord. Help us to experience the kind of relationship you want us to have so that we have that joy and peace that you promised us all. We just thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for the grace that you gave Jacob, the grace that you gave Abraham, through faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death on on the cross for us. We thank you in his blessed name I pray. Amen.